So. <clears throat> I often look forward, as any said, Eddie said, uh, with anticipation to Easter, the Easter messages and things of that nature. And you watch the news sometimes, and normally every Easter they will, you know, they'll show you what the Anglicans have been saying, what the, you know, what the uh, the, the Catholic bishops, archbishops, going to be saying and stuff like that. And normally, what's interesting, they, they talk about, you know, politics. They talk about you know, how the politicians aren't doing what they're meant to be doing and we're meant to have more social equity and we're, we're meant to be sharing the money around a bit more and we're not doing this and they're not doing that. And Interesting. I promise I'm not going to give you a sermon today about politics. Okay? Is that good? Is that okay with you? I know you might have been anticipating it. You might have been you know, looking forward to it. But look, no sports, no politics. Um, I'm just going to focus on God's word. But today was an interesting one because normally on Easter Day... Now you think to yourself, well, automatically you're going to be talking about Easter, right? About, you know, the resurrection, that sort of stuff over there. But most of you know that I've been going through a series on what? Jonah, right? Now, Jonah, I've been looking at uh, Jonah and I was up to chapter 2 of Jonah. And as I started to prepare the, the, the sermon on Jonah, then I realised at the beginning of the week, hang on, Easter's coming up. I should be preparing an Easter message. Then I looked, started trying to get ideas about an Easter message. You know where I ended up? At Jonah. Some of you might be thinking, what does a man who was swallowed by a fish have to do with Easter? Has to do with the resurrection. And you know something interesting? And you're going to find it interesting. I think you really are. By the end of it, you're going to realise there are so many comparisons between Jonah and Jesus and the resurrection. You're going to leave this place today and you're going to say, you know something to, you, to, the, to the people that you work with? You know how many comparisons there are between Jonah and Jesus? So we're going to look at that today. So we're going to look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 15 and we're going to read to the end of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1 verse 15 chapter 2 verse 10. Got that? Okay, it says, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. But the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou, heard, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. 
Are you beginning to see some similarities there? Good. Let's pray before we uh, start the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this blessed day. We thank you that we can come together here. We can look into your word. We can learn from it. We have Jesus in our hearts this morning, our Saviour and our Lord. And we also have the Holy Spirit who is teaching us, the one who wrote this word, the very one, Lord, who will now guide us into your truth. We pray that our hearts indeed would be prepared for that, that you'd use me for that purpose as well, and that Jesus' name would be lifted up. He deserves the glory. In his name we pray. Amen. The passage that, as I was looking at the, um, uh, the, the resurrection or the Easter message uh, for today, which dawned on me about, um, about uh, Jonah, was when the Pharisees approached Jesus and they said, You show us a sign to prove who you are. In other words, they wanted a miracle. And Jesus said, in, verse, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas, or Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? Jesus said very plainly, that's what you're going to get. So... As we look at the passage of Jonah this morning, I want to contrast or show the similarities between what was happening to Jonah and what happened to Jesus. And the first thing I want to look at is verse 15 of chapter 1. And it says there, So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. And guess what? And the sea ceased from her raging. So when the sailors asked Jonah beforehand, What do we have to do with you? In order for us not to be killed by all these waves and things that were, that were beating the boat around. He told them, throw me in. If you throw me in, the sea will calm down. And in verse 11 it says, I said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea is wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this tempest is upon you. The answer was for them to throw Jonah overboard in order that they might be saved. Now, that reminds me of another passage, right? Because we saw a little bit about the, the when we spoke about the, the Easter, we spoke about the crucifixion, we, we speak a lot about the trade that took place. In other words, Jesus went to the cross and took the punishment of each and every one of us. So that we didn't receive the punishment. That's called propitiation. That means one person is the substitute for another one. Simple enough. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus hung on that cross when it should have been me that hung on that cross. He paid for my sins. When he didn't have to, he simply did. Now, a similar thing happened here. They threw Jonah overboard... To drown so that they wouldn't have to drown. He was their substitute because if they let it go, they would have all drowned. Instead, he calmed, because of they threw him in, he calmed the sea. Now, Romans chapter 3, if you want to write it down, verse 24 says, We being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, right? Which justified means God's declared us just. Right. Nothing against us. 
Everything's been paid for. Everything is clear from a legal point of view. By his grace, which means something we didn't deserve, he did it. He went out of his way when we didn't deserve it. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, God brought us back to himself. Whom God has set forth to be a, a big word, propitiation, which we spoke about. That's the substitute of Jesus through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Jesus was just. True? The only man in history never to have sinned, and he was the one who found himself on a cross. The only man in history never to have sinned, never to have made a mistake, yet he was the one who willingly went to a cross, the just, in order that we might be justified, that we might also be declared righteous. Did we deserve it? No. Could we ever have done it or even come close with our own efforts? No chance. We could never have done it. The difference here, though, is that Jonah was both the cause of the dilemma. Jonah was disobedient, wasn't he? The fact he was on that boat means he was, he was actually being disobedient to God. And that was the source of the sailor's dilemma. But he was also the solution to their dilemma as well. The dilemma that the world faces today, the dilemma of every man and woman and, and, and child of, of an understanding age is that they themselves have run away from God. They themselves are disobedient and sinful. And it's they, us, that should be thrown into hell to pay for our sins. But yet God offers us a substitute, one who is perfect in every possible way. The sins that, that we have committed, that mankind has committed since the garden, since the very first day, should have been paid for by man. But now man has a choice. Man has a choice to accept the sacrifice that was made or to reject that choice. The sailors had the same opportunity. They could have said, no, we're not going to throw you in, we're going to do it our own way. And where would they have found themselves? They would have all found themselves at the bottom of the sea. Instead, they chose to follow the advice of Jonah. Jonah was a solution. And today we understand that Jesus is our solution. Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin in the world. The only solution. The one solution that God has offered to mankind in order that mankind is freed from sin, not just the penalty of it, because we're lawbreakers, but also the power of it. Jesus is our full and complete solution. The phrase, they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea, the sea ceased from her raging is a, is a beautiful picture of God's wrath against man. Because God's wrath is ready to be outpoured upon men who practice sin. And in the end, they will receive the wrath of God if they have rejected the only way that appeased that wrath, which was Jesus dying on a cross. The waves of the ocean were a danger and a threat to those in the boat. It was the sailors who threw Jonah into the sea in order that they themselves would not drown in the sea. But the interesting thing is that Jonah himself realised it wasn't the sailors who threw him in. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Who does Jonah say cast him into the sea? He says, For thou had cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea. Who was thou? God. Jonah understood that it was God's plan that he was cast into the sea. Even though the sailors did the physical thing of throwing him in, it was God who actually had determined that he would find himself in the middle of the ocean or the sea. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea. And this fits well with John chapter 3, verse 16. A verse that we're very familiar with, which says... For God so loved the world that who gave? That he gave his only begotten son. We didn't call him down. He wasn't because we screamed out to God and said, come and save us. It was God who gave his son. We didn't. Man, although man did the dirty work and, and, uh, and followed his own sinful desires to crucify Christ on the cross, it was God who sent him there. It was God who had a plan from the beginning to rescue man, and that was in his plan from the very beginning. It was God who gave his only son in order to save the world. And Jesus knew that from the very beginning. In fact, if you go to Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus knew. He was born in order to die for the sins of mankind. He was the lamb that was slain from the beginning, from the, before the foundation of the world because God's plan had all, was already prepared. The difference is that while Satan thought he had outwitted God, Indeed, he fell right into the very hands of God's plan. And we should be thankful that God is so much smarter than Satan. So much more, so many more steps ahead for those of you who like chess. God has got it all worked out and we are the beneficiaries of God's intelligence, of his grace and his love. So the first thing I want you to understand is when they threw Jonah into the sea and the sea calmed, that's a picture of God's wrath against us being calmed because Jesus took that wrath on the cross. That's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Okay, let's go to the next one. Look at verse 16. It says, Then the men feared God, the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Beautiful, isn't it? What happened to them? They throw Jonah into the sea. The sea all of a sudden calms down. So what do they do? They say, wow, they feared the Lord. Remember I spoke about, Sarah says L-O-R-D in all in capital letters. Well, that's Jehovah. That's God's name there. The reason they write L-O-R-D is that the, the translators of the Bible use the same sort of technique as the, as the Jews do not to write God's name everywhere. But here... They feared God. Before that, they were worshipping all their other gods. They were offering sacrifices for, to their gods to save them and nothing was happening. And all of a sudden, when the sea ceased from her raging, they realised what Jonah said was true. That it was Jehovah who was the real God. The God that Jonah served was the one and only true God. So what did they do? They feared him. They offered him sacrifice and they made vows. They promised 
things to him. Indeed, when one reflects and properly understands the love that Jesus or God showed us on that cross at Calvary, you can't help but your heart to be drawn to him, can you? You can't help. That's, that's the thing. And Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. You know, I used to think that that, was, that, that verse had to do with him rising into heaven or ascending into heaven. It didn't have anything to do with that. It had everything to do with when they nailed him to a cross, you know where, they, where he went? They lifted him up. They lifted him up and he was visible for all the world to see. And why would we be drawn to that? Why would all men, Jesus says, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me? Why are people drawn to that? You know why? Because that's the greatest act of love that anyone ever has shown me in, in my lifetime. My parents love me and, and friends love me and family love me. I know, they've shown love to me. They've put up with me all my life. That's a lot of love there. But you know the, the one who really loved me? was hanging on that cross. And I, I know no greater love that was shown to me than what Jesus did for me on that cross. When you observe the cross, you observe both the severity of God and the love of God all in one place. Now, God is perfectly just, but his justice was perfectly met at that cross. You know, God is perfect love and his love was perfectly displayed on that cross toward me, a sinner. When the sailors saw the result of Jonah having been thrown overboard, they feared God. They thanked God. They vowed God. They vowed to serve him. When the waves had calmed down, the, the men realised that Jonah's God was real. He wasn't just a figment of, of, uh, of his imagination like all their gods were. They had trusted in Jonah's word, even though it was difficult for them to accept. And when they witnessed the result, they experienced the peace of God upon the sea and within their hearts. You know, when a man puts his faith in Jesus Christ, when a man believes and trusts him, he experiences peace. He experiences the calm and the peace of God in his heart. He experiences God in a way that the world can't understand. When we say we have the peace of God in us and, and while the world is screaming and, and everything is going, going wrong in the world, we can be happy. We can still be happy and joyous. And they say, what are you so happy about? Because we have God's peace in our heart. We have a peace the world cannot understand. We have experienced God in a way the world cannot even envisage. So the inevitable thing that happens to us is that when we've experienced God, when we've asked Jesus into our heart and we understand the severity of God on that cross, we understand the, the, the justice of God, we fear God. We understand what a just God he is and he is indeed to be feared and we should stand in awe of him and his justice and his power. But by the same, by the same token, it then says that they, that they offered sacrifice to him. What sacrifice do we, are we called to offer God today? Sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
Can't help but thank him. Can't help but say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, a sinner, a wretch like me, who didn't deserve to be saved. That's the sacrifice that God accepts from us today. And you know something? The inevitable thing that comes from experiencing the love of God and the justice of God through the cross of Christ, it's that I I make vows. What vows do we make to God? We vow to follow him. We vow to follow Christ, that he is our Lord and our Saviour. Not just our Saviour, but it's inevitable that we say, it's, it's, it, it's, it's important that we say, you are my Lord as well and I will follow you all the days of my life. What happens to a, to a man who puts their faith in Christ is a very similar thing that happened to those people who were on that boat that day, who realised that God is real. Because their lives were spared. They witnessed his love and his grace. God is not just concerned about calming the waves of the sea, is he? Is he more concerned about calming waves in the sea? Or is he more concerned about calming the storm that's in me? Before I was saved, there was many, much turmoil in my life. And indeed, those who, who aren't saved, who don't know Jesus, are full of turmoils. They don't know where to go. They have no meaning in their life. They don't know their eternal destiny. They have no relationship with God. Nothing that survives and is real and is steadfast. Instead, when a person puts their faith in Christ, they have someone who will never betray them. They have someone who they can stand on firmly and say, He is the one who gave his life for me. He will never let me down. People will always let you down. Indeed, some of the, the greatest tragedies of our, of our world are when the people that you trust and love let you down. And people carry the scars of those, those betrayals and, no, and that trust that's broken through their entire lives. But there is one who will never betray your trust. There is one who will see you through to the end, who understands your deepest hurts and fears and he's been where you've been already. He understands. He's been rejected of men. He was betrayed by them as well. He understood all the pains and the sufferings you go through because he didn't just go through your pains and suffering. He went through much more. The Bible says that he's able to succor them, which means he's able to comfort them, understand them, who put their trust in him. God is not concerned so much about the waves of the sea as he is about the waves and the storms in my heart. Without God, there cannot be peace in the world. But when a man trusts the Prince of Peace, his life can change dramatically. His life can be at peace because he's at peace with God. Turn to Matthew chapter 8 just to, just to continue that illustration. Matthew chapter 8 verse 24 says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. That's Jesus, was asleep in the ship. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. It's an amazing character, isn't he? I said, well, who, what sort of person is this? 
that is able to just say, calm, be still. And all of nature responds to him. Turn forward to chapter 14. Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves. Here they find themselves again, these disciples, in the middle of an angry sea. For the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now some people who look at the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, imagine the water was perfectly still. And there were somehow some stones along the way that he might have tricked his followers into believing. He was in the middle of the sea with, with, with storms and waves and yet he was able to walk on it. What am I making? What point am I making here? The truth is that if you have storms in your life right now, if you have trusted him as your Lord and Saviour and you still have storms, could it be that you're not trusting him? Could it be that you're not trusting him to take care of you? Trusting him that he loves you? Trusting him that he wants the best for you? Trusting him enough to obey when he tells you to do something? When he says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid, he says that to us as well. There is no need to fear the world or anything in the world. There is nothing that can take away the salvation that God has given you or rip the relationship that God has given you, that you have with God. You can do that. You can choose to sever that relationship. But the world cannot take that away from you. The world can't take away the salvation because the world can't rip you out of God's hands. There is no reason to fear if you're a Christian. Even death. Even death doesn't have its sting anymore. That's why all the early disciples willingly gave their lives thrown to the lions, burnt at stakes. Look at the history. Read your history and find out how Christianity began in persecution and, 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 um, and hatred. People hated these people who put their, their faith in Christ. They hated them so much they, they couldn't find more ways to kill them by stoning and whipping and, and, and every other imaginable way they could have killed them. Yet you find stories saying that men willingly went to their death. People who sang while they were being ripped apart by lions. People who were praying to God while they were set alight as torches for Nero to line his streets. That's the story of Christianity. We often lose sight of it because we have it so good here. We often get caught up in the world a little bit too much. And we get affected by things that happen around us. And we, and we, we look at those, those little... A lot of them aren't really storms. We make them out to be storms bigger than what they are. Because you know something? If you have the greatest power and the greatest love in the universe behind you, what have you to fear? Even if they kill you tomorrow, they cannot do anything to your soul. You're with your Lord and Saviour. Can't think of a better place to be. So God is able to calm the storms of our lives. 
Point three, look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now we don't know exactly what type of fish or whale this was because the New Testament said it was a whale. We know it's a whale. We don't know what type because there's a few different types. It could have been a sperm whale. Apparently they're in, uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we don't know how, how Jonah even managed to live in that fish for three days. How did he breathe? What did he do in there? Did he start up a little fire in there and, you know, and cook himself some of the fish that, that came through? I don't know. I don't know how he lived. But we do know it's a miracle. We do know God actually did the saving in that, in that point. But we do also know that that's a picture. Jonah being in that fish is a picture of Jesus being in the tomb for three days. Turn with me to Matthew to see what the Lord or where the Lord refers to Jonah and the sign that will be given to an unbelieving world. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. And we'll look at what the sign of Jonah is. Matthew 12, 38. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The Pharisees knew well and good, right? The Pharisees that were with Jesus, do you think they'd heard the stories of Jesus performing miracles? Guaranteed. There would have been plenty of people out there who would have said, I saw him raise someone from the dead. I saw him cure someone with a, who was crippled. I saw him give sight to someone who was blind. I, they would have all gone back to the Pharisees, to the teachers. That's the first place they would have gone back to. They knew very well that he had performed many miracles already. But yet, they said, show us one to prove who you are. You show us one. We want you to perform one for us. That's a wonderful attitude, isn't it? And does Jesus, does Jesus accept their, their, uh, their uh, thing? No. Jesus calls them an evil and adulterous generation. He said, I'm not going to give you anything. But you are going to get something. You're going to get the sign of the prophet Jonah. I wonder if they understood. Well, they should have understood. You know why? Because he actually had explained it before. He actually had, had shown them before and explained this thing over and over again to these people. This is what would happen. What was the sign that Jesus would give them? that they asked him so impetuously, so rudely. The sign that he would give them would be his own resurrection from the dead. That was the sign of Jonah. Jonah's time in the whale would be a picture of Jesus' burial and resurrection. Jesus had warned them time after time that they would kill him. He told them in their face, you're going to kill me. Be not something, on the third day I'm going to rise again. Did they understand or believe him? No, because their minds and their hearts were shut to the truth. Look at John chapter 2, verse 18. 
John chapter 2, verse 18. Now, before we read John chapter 2, verse 18 to 21, let me ask you a question. John chapter 2, is that the beginning of the ministry of Jesus or at the end of the ministry of Jesus? That's at the beginning. So he was telling them the stuff from the very start. Look what he says to them. And they answered, then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Once again, they were asking for a sign. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. You see, exactly the same question. Exactly the same challenge was put out to him, and he responded in exactly the same way. The ones who Jesus performed miracles for were the ones who needed it. People who were starving that needed to be fed. People who were lame who needed to be cured. People who were blind who needed sight. He went to those humble people and gave them what they needed. But when these proud and arrogant Pharisees and Sadducees and, and scribes came to him and said, you show us something as well, Jesus said, no, you're not going to get anything, but you are going to get something. You're going you're to see something. And that's what you have to believe. That's the sign I'm going to give you. This was a sign of Jonah. And this sign came with a warning. It wasn't just a sign. It was a sign that came with an implicit and explicit warning attached to it. That they would be condemned. Condemned. Not just because they had rejected the teachings or the words of Jesus. But they would indeed would be condemned by the people of Nineveh themselves. By another group of people who wished they would have had the chance to see Jesus and to hear his preaching. And they would all rise up in the end and the Ninevites would say to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of Jesus' day, you guys had the opportunity and you blew it. We had Jonah and we repented. You had him in your midst, the Son of God, who raised himself from the grave and you still rejected him. Whose has the greatest condemnation? The Ninevites or the people of Jesus' day? Jesus says, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The condemnation will come in the end for those who reject the words of Jesus. The condemnation will come from not just God himself but from other people. What about us? What about our generation? Have they heard? Have they seen? Have they understood? Because I'll tell you something. We are his hands and his feet. We represent him in the world. When people see us, they should see Christ. And if they don't see Christ in us, where will they see him? But by the same token... If we declare the very words of God and show them the love of Christ and how Christ has changed our life, they have, in a, to all intents and purposes, have seen him. They should see him. And they will be condemned if they reject that truth. It's our job to share that truth faithfully. If we don't, if we do it half-heartedly, we're condemning them. By our own slackness, by our own... 
bad attitudes. You see, the rejection of Jesus is the final sin which outrates all other sins. You can be a murderer your whole life, could you not? You could be the worst possible person on this planet and then before you die, you give your heart to Jesus and accept him and he says, I forgive you. God can accept the worst person. Paul said he was the worst person. Paul was going around killing Christians. And he said, God was merciful to me, the worst of sinners. You can be the worst person and accept Christ, repent of your sins, and God will forgive you. But you know something? You might be a morally good person. You might think you've got it all together. You might live a life that you think is better than most people around you. And indeed, it may be better than most people around you. But if in the end you reject Christ and his salvation for you, you will end up in the same place as the person who may have been a murderer and rejected him as well. What about us? Where do we stand in this picture? Are you living for Christ? Are you sharing his message? Are you the image of Christ in this world? That's our challenge today. Let's go to the prayer of Jonah. The prayer of Jonah is an incredible prayer. If you, if you think of this prayer and you think about the Psalms, you understand very quickly that Jonah knew his Psalms. Jonah knew the Psalms. And he, and he was quoting some of the Psalms. And we'll look at some of that as well. But the other thing that's, that's, that's wonderful about this particular prayer is that, once again, it, it almost pictures the Messianic Psalms, the ones that, that foretell about what Jesus would go through. Now, before we read Jonah's prayer, I'd like you to first understand that this wasn't Jonah's first prayer. It wasn't his first one after he, um, after he was thrown overboard. This was a subsequent prayer. This came later. Okay? Jonah's, Jonah's first prayer was when he was drowning in the ocean. All right? this, this prayer retells or recounts that prayer that he first prayed. How do we know this? Well, if you read it, he actually repeats it and says, I did this and I prayed this and this is how God answered me. So this prayer is a retelling of the prayer that he first prayed as he was drowning to the depths of of the ocean. The prayer that Jonah makes from the fish is a prayer of thanksgiving. It's saying, thanks God for saving me. And it's made three days when he's been in the fish already three days. So he prays at that particular point and this is the prayer that he's, records, that he's recorded. In addition, fine, I've already said that. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto, unto the Lord, he is God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. See, it's talking in past tense. I cried from the belly of hell. Where's the belly of hell? Was it the belly of the fish? No, because look at verse 3. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows, which are big waves, and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. <coughs> the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottom of the mount bottoms of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. 
Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. That they, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. This is a prayer of thanksgiving from the belly of a fish after he'd in the fish for three days and was about to be spewed up onto land. The hell that he speaks about, it's not literal hell. It was hell where he was at the bottom, sinking to the bottom of the, of the ocean, of the sea. That was his literal hell, wrapped around with seaweeds, waves going over him. He could not breathe. He knew he was about to expire as a person. And he knew that God had sent him there. He says, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Jonah's greatest pain was not the calamity, but his separation from God. He felt he was, had been rejected by God and thrown away. Yet he calls upon God for salvation. Look at verse 5. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. He was about, he believed he would have been there forever. That's what he thought. He goes, this is it for me. I'm sinking to the bottom and that's it. I'm going to be stuck here forever. There is no way I'm going to get out of this. And yet he goes, yet that has brought up my life from corruption. O Lord my God. Again, Jonah praises God for saving his life by sending the fish. The fish was his salvation. The fish was what got Jonah saved. Before he was sinking, then he goes, you've lifted up my soul. He realised the fish was there to rescue him, not to kill him or to digest him. God could have simply let Jonah drown if he wanted to. He was about to die. God could have simply waited another 30 seconds or a minute and Jonah would have been gone. Instead, God sends a fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah realised at that point, hang on, something's going on here. The Lord saved Jonah from certain corruption, which basically meant that if he had, if he had sunk to the bottom, he would have been eaten by fish, deteriorated as, as a body, and, and he, would have been, he would have been finished, gone, deteriorated and decayed. But you know something which is interesting? The same word corruption is used the same way of Jesus, that he was preserved from corruption. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 26 for me. Acts chapter 2, verse 26. Paul is telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ and he's explaining to them. Verse 26, Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Go to verse 31. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Paul argument, Paul's argument here is that every other man in history who's died and been buried, you know what happens to them? They decay. They get eaten up by worms. And their body decays into nothingness. They're all gone. But yet, didn't happen to Jesus. He was not left in hell. He was not left with his body to rot. Indeed, his body didn't rot. In fact, he rose again with the same body. The scars in the same place where the nails had been and holes in his feet. His body rose again. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 16, verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Who's the holy one? Jesus. You know, we, we sang a hymn this morning that said that the angels were guarding the, the tomb while Jesus was, was, uh, was lying in there. Question for you this morning, just to get you thinking a little bit, because I know it's, a, it's going to be a long day and it's already probably been a long sermon. Question for you. Would Jesus have died of old age if he wasn't crucified at Calvary? Ever thought about that? Would Jesus have died of old age? Would he have gotten old and gotten all the pains and the things that we do and then eventually one of his organs fail and he, and he died and then was buried if he hadn't died on the cross? Ever thought about that? I've, I've thought about that a number of times. And, I, and, and I've come to the conclusion that I don't think he would have died. I think he would have lived forever. Because Jesus was already a spiritual body. You see, he was born of a virgin. I wasn't born of a virgin. I had two parents, both corrupt. Sorry, Mum. And that corruption was passed on to me. I was, it's, I'm destined to die. A natural death if you want to call it natural. But was Jesus had a mother. She was a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost. He was what was called the second Adam. Now, did, would Adam have lived forever? Yes. Adam would have lived forever. In a flesh, body of flesh. So, the Bible calls him the second Adam. Something to think about. I don't think he would have actually died an old man I think he was the second Adam and he would have lived forever anyway and the amazing thing is that he rose back again in his the body that he was already in with the scars that were there now can I ask you a question when you and I are going to be raised again let's say we die and they bury us and we're, we're lying in there for a, for a number of years can I ask you a question do you expect to be raised in the same, exactly the same body that you're raised in that you have now with the scars and the aches and pains that you've got? No. We expect to get what? New bodies. Interesting. Another point of interest. <clears throat> Let's continue with Jonah's prayer. Jonah chapter 2 verse 7 says, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. That they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I vowed salvations of the Lord, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. Turn back with me 
to Psalm 22. Probably one of the greatest and clearest Messianic Psalms of all the Psalms that speak about Jesus and what he would go through. You won't read the whole lot because I'm very mindful that I'm, uh, I'm going over time already. But we'll close up with this particular um, Psalm. Psalm 22. You're going to remember. You're going to, you're going to remember a lot of these, uh, or recognise a lot of these verses. Verse one says, "To the chief musician, upon Ajaleth, Shahar, a psalm of David: My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring?" Sound familiar? Those words. Mm. Jesus quoted those words while he was dying on the cross. Jump down to verse 12. It says, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Now, compassed me about. Sound familiar? When you think about, when you think about Jonah's prayer, he says, I was compassed about. I was surrounded by the waves and the sea and I was, and I was being pulled down. Okay? Look at verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is, a, it, it, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Familiar? Jonah said, I am cast away from thy sight, into, thrown into the depths of the sea. Let's, go, let's keep going. Verse 16, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. It's a beautiful description of, of how Jesus was nailed to the cross. But once again, sounds a lot like Jonah, doesn't it? I've been encompassed about, I'm being pulled down, I'm going down to the depths. Verse 17, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We know that happened as well at the foot of the cross. Verse 25, but look what it says. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Pay vows? Interesting, isn't it? Because Jonah also says, I will pay my vows that I have vowed. Pay my vows. Same thing. In this and the rest of the chapter, Jonah's prayer incorporates many phrases and figures of speech from the Psalms. This shows that Jonah not only uh, was a man of God right, and knew God's word, he knew it by heart, because I don't think he was there, I don't think he had a Bible with him in the fish. I don't think he had a little, little light and, and he was able to write things down while he was in there. But listen to Psalm verse 18. Verse 4, the sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Interesting. Because it, once again, it's Jonah knew his psalms, and he was in, in a sense praying the same way to God, to rescue him and then giving thanks to God because he had done so. We'll finish it up there because there are too many other similarities. Do you know how many days Jonah or God gave the Ninevites before he would destroy them? 40 days. 
Jonah says, he rose, Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And, Noah, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Do you know how long Jesus spent with his disciples after he was risen from the dead? 40 days. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now let me summarise the sermon today. The miracle of Jonah living three days in a whale, alive, is a picture of the death and the burial of Christ. The fact that Jonah then got spat out by the whale is a picture of Jesus coming out of that, that tomb as well. But the miracle of Jonah does not compare to the miracle of Jesus. Jonah didn't actually die. Jesus did. Jonah didn't resurrect himself. God had to send a fish to save him. Jesus saved himself. The Bible actually says Jesus saved himself. The Holy Spirit was there as well doing it. And Father, the Heavenly Father was there as well. The sign of Jonah... <clears throat> as it relates to the, the resurrection of Christ, is the most important sign in all of history. It is a sign that all men are going to be judged by. It is one of the most provable facts in the history of the world. There is so much consequence that occurred as a result of that one act, that Jesus was alive after he died, that you can't dispute it. There, is more, there are more historical writings about the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus than Napoleon, Alexander the Great, or any other, any other classic in history. Any other history doesn't even compare with the amount of history that was written about Christ. People try to deny it. People try to put it down and tell us that we're fools for believing that a man can rise from the dead. But I'll tell you what. I'm here because today I met him alive. I, I'm a witness of his resurrection, which I hope you are as well today. Because if you're not a witness of his resurrection, if you haven't experienced him today and have a relationship with him, then you don't have anything. What do you have? You have a certain future, a future that's, that's destined for hell, because you will have to pay for your own sins. I couldn't think of a more scary place to be than have to stand before God with my sins all lined up in front and then have to give an excuse for them before God. It can't happen. There is no excuse I can give before God. There is, no, there is nothing that I can say and say, Oh God, but I had a, I had a bad upbringing. It's not going to work. Oh God, I didn't have as many opportunities as someone else. It's not going to work. The Bible says that our mouths will be stopped. We won't be able to utter a word. Even the Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man when it was, when it's in the, is in hell, didn't say, oh, I don't deserve to be here. God, you've done something wrong. In fact, every man and woman who, in history who has rejected God and finds himself in hell will know they deserve to be there. That's a scary thought because that's not going to end. That will be forever. And do you know who are the people that God has called to help people in that situation so it isn't forever for them? Us. The ones who have eternal salvation. The ones who have it all. 
who have the word of God, who have an eternal security in heaven, who have a relationship with God, the question I have for you today is, if you haven't believed in the sign of Jonah, which is the resurrection of Christ, you will go to hell if you died today. So today is a day to repent. But if you've already accepted the sign of Jonah, are you the evidence of it? Are you the evidence of what God did by raising up his only son? Because if there's, if, if there's no evidence in us to this world that Jesus rose from the grave, where is the world going to see that, that evidence? God bless you. That's our challenge. Thank you.